Let's take a look at some of the pictures, if you don't mind. Um, so this one you don't have, but uh, it's a pretty decent rendering of the temple according to what archaeology has actually found in the neighborhood. There was kind of a, you see to the, kind of to the upper right, uh, left, you've got a, people coming up a stairway kind of behind a wall. That's the way things kind of look. Um, and it's a good idea of scale. Um, a couple things here that I'm not sure um, I like, and that is um, that the Holy of Holies had steps going up to it. Um, that doesn't sound correct to me. We're going to see. You, you have differences in artist renditions of the holy place, no matter what. That's one of them. Is the Holy of Holies raised or is it flat? Um, also, in the front of the doors, you've got those two giant pillars. Um, the other thing to notice in artist render renderings is, do the pillars hold up something, like a roof or something, or don't? are they just freestanding? We don't know. So it could be that they're holding something. The other big difference is in front of the steps going up, um, you have the, the, their rendering of the altar. That altar, if you look at the little people uh, around, it looks to me to be about 12 feet tall. And the steps only look like they're about five feet tall. So did you have to carry a stepladder up with you if you're going to use the altar up above or what? It's, that's kind of odd. This is what's, excuse me, this is what's in your handout. Um, and uh, you see in the back again, uh, 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 you've got steps going up to the Holy of Holies. And what's above the Holy of Holies there? There's a little space, right? little room. Looks like about five feet tall. Um, there is a thought in uh, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew scholarship that that was actually a room that got used. Um, and uh, that one use for the room was that if, if uh, a bird or a mouse, or in my experience, kittens can get into anything, uh, so if a cat got in there or something, how would you clean up the mess in the Holy of Holies? Well, you can't go in, right? Only the high priest could go in through the doors every, once every year. So, but what they did was they would let a guy down through the ceiling on a little platform, like a little hand done elevator thing and he could get down and then he could clean up the floor or repair a mess or or a broken this or that and I don't know about that but the Jews speculated that that happened and that's what that I there's another uh, better idea of what was in that room above the holy of holies um, because there are references to something called the Azura which is the copy the best copy of the entire Old Testament and that they kept, and maybe that got kept above the Holy of Holies or in a cabinet in a side room somewhere. So if you made a copy of, say, Genesis, you made your copy, but then you had to check it against the copy. Um, and they allowed three mistakes per page. More than three mistakes, that page gets torn out. Got to do it over again. So they have pretty good copies here you see the pillar is supporting something right there's like a little porch or something and he does mention porch in the text and then that altar has uh i think that the altar there is pretty good as far as the way it's described although uh how would you get to where the fire is 
Is that guy, that poor guy got to climb up there on his knees and walk on coals and you don't want, right? You don't want somebody to plant their face in the fire or whatever. And, and uh, so I think that that's probably wrong. Um, I think that probably on that altar up there, there were maybe six or nine or 12 fires going and you could walk between them because it's such a huge altar that you could, there's a bull being sacrificed here and a lamb here and a goat over there. But I don't think that it had steps like this one. I think it had a ramp. Because God also said things about the high priest. Don't use steps because the, you don't want the high priest to uh, reveal himself or be, you know, if I'm walking up the steps with my gown, I've got my church pants on, right? Well, the priest didn't. So they had to be careful about, you know, what he's got, you know, what he's wearing and so forth. A little bit of a closer view. Do you see the side chambers? It's a cutaway view of the side chambers. How the wall gets thicker the lower you get. Do you see that in the, can I make that out? That's in the text. Um, there's a one cubit difference, it's 18 inches, in each of those levels so that the uh, support beams would be sitting firmly on brick and wouldn't just come down. You know, they didn't have the kind of joists that we do. So that, that's, that's how those levels were made. And I think probably accounts for the silver tables and the silver candlesticks to light the things. Do you also see at the top of the, of the temple on the back wall that there are windows? Um, they had candlesticks in there and they had gold everywhere. So they didn't really need that much light. What would the windows be for? Yeah, ventilation to get rid of the smoke and to get some fresh air in there. Do you see where the high priest is there in his blue and purple robe? In front of him, at the foot of the steps here, is the altar of incense. That's what that little thing is. And I think that there weren't steps. I don't think that he climbed up. I think that it was on the same level as the rest of the room. But another thing you can see there is if you look at the cherubim, who here look like griffins, you know, that the angels have four legs and lion's heads and stuff. Um, if you can kind of make out the door there, it seems like Solomon's temple, and they do talk about the, the latticed doors, or the, they're what, as a painter, I would have called a bifold door. So in the tabernacle, they used a curtain, and in the rebuilt Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, they used a curtain in the second temple. But in Solomon's temple, the first temple, they used an actual a folding door. I don't think it's any side of this temple. I believe the west wall is one of the walls um, uh, because right where this is here today is that Byzantine church that the Muslims call them the, the Dome of the Rock. That the, the, what we call the Wailing Wall or used to call the Wailing Wall is one of the walls of, of the, the outside. Let me, let me get to this uh, slide here. It's one of those exterior walls. And it's, and it's also the lower part of one of those exterior walls because to get to that wailing wall, you're not on the same level as the, as the, as the temple court. You're below it. So, and, and that's why it survived is because probably when the rest of it was torn down by the Babylonians, or the Romans rather, it was already below ground, which is why it, it, it survived. They didn't, there wasn't anything to tear down there. It was just dirt. You know, there, 
Today, there are tremors. Um, more than there are here in New Ulm, less than I knew of when I lived in Washington State. Okay? So in between there somewhere. But there, there, there have been um, seismic events in Palestine, you know, going all the way back. And there are some of the caves that are around the Dead Sea um, are, are, are vast and magnificent and maybe lava tubes. Um, you also have the event of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Was that volcanic, partially volcanic in nature, or did God just rain stuff down from the sky, or did it come from somewhere and rain down that God caused something to happen? And I don't know, um, but uh, it, was, it was a mess, whatever it was. Um, so this is a closer view of that same temple court. For Solomon, that was the highest part of the hill that was inhabited. Um, and you see to the, to the lower left, there's kind of a, a long, low building with an extra courtyard divider. It's uh, like, a, like a long building along the side. Um, you see what I'm talking about there? That, that's what we would probably think of as, I think, Solomon's palace. Um, and probably should have been built a little bit higher than this. Um, David's palace, if I go back a slide... Um, is at the bottom of this whole thing on the very far lower left. That's archaeologically what we think David's palace was and was the highest building in his neighborhood because remember that David, of course, went out on the roof and saw Bathsheba bathing. But that's when the city of David was just this lower section. Solomon built up the upper section and the, and the temple. Um, another artist's rendering, that pro this one has a slope going up to the Holy of Holies, it's, that's a slippery slope to think about, especially if it's gold. Um, that the, an issue here is with uh, the um, stairway going up to the altar. The altar looks good, but how much room is there in between that wall and the staircase? You know, it doesn't seem very practical to me. Um, although I think, you know, it's, a, it's a, just a mechanical drawing, but... Um, then in this one, these are two different renderings. Um, the one on the left is pretty good, um, showing the Holy of Holies on the ground floor there. Um, and uh, the, uh, the one on the right shows it on the uh, stairs going up again. Uh, the one on the right also has, a, a, I think, a wildly impractical uh, an altar. Think of hefting a bull up those 30 steps or whatever that is. I, I don't see that happening. Um, but do you see the, the bronze sea, the, the, the big water source there, the reservoir? That was held up by 12 bronze bulls, probably life-size bulls that were cast. And uh, that's how they got the water out of it was because they had some kind of a spigot. They, you know, the, the, a water tap is one, of the, is one of the simplest engineering tools that there is. It's just a pipe in a pipe, and if you turn it one way, the, the, the water can get through because of a hole that's drilled. If you turn it back, it can't get through anymore. It's a simple thing. Um, and probably, so did the bulls, did the, did the water come out the bulls' mouths? You know, like a gargoyle or something? Or out their noses or something, I don't know. Altars, uh, the big gold one on top is a model of Solomon's temple's altar. Really, really big. Just a giant altar. And you can see why I think that there may have been 
multiple fires going at once for different sacrifices. Um, then down below, you've got a guy on the bottom kind of looking at a rock. That's more like the kind of thing that Abraham or Isaac would have used. Just find a big stone laying around somewhere. Um, or you've got next to it an altar to the, to the left, an altar of undressed stones. The Lord talks about that in Genesis quite often. If you build an altar, don't use any iron tool on the altar. Just, you know, uh, and uh, so forth. The, the one uh, with the poles on it is the kind of altar they used with the tabernacle. So if you emptied out all the coals and everything, you could pick the thing up and carry it, which is what they had to do. Um, that seems like about maybe eight guys could have lifted it. Um, don't know if I'd be thrilled to be in that Levitical family to carry around this gigantic thing about the weight of two or three coffins, you know, for 40 years. That would have been pretty tough. That This is an actual altar that was found at Beersheba. Um, the stones are... I think replicas of the originals and you've got some other pieces in between that are kind of made to so you get the idea of how big it was and what it looked like. But that had actual horns on it. If you remember, Joab runs in to grab the horns of the altar because he doesn't want to die apart from the Lord. So if you're going to kill me, kill me here. And then they, Solomon says, do that. And they do. All right. Chapter 29. And I don't think we have time for me to read everything, but it's a, there's, this involves a prayer that we'll look at in comparison with something in Second Chronicles a little bit later. King David said, to this, said this to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The work is great because this citadel is not for a man. It is for the Lord God. I think David is thinking of the whole temple complex, the courtyard and its surrounding wall as a citadel, although usually that would be a, Word for a palace, probably, or a castle. According to all my strength, David says, I have provided these things for the house of my God. Gold for the gold item, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wooden, onyx stones and settings, um, antimony. Um, what did they use antimony for? Women used it for makeup. It was a base for paint. By the way, it's as poisonous as lead and I wonder if that's why the men kept getting married um, ugh, it's just scary but you've got, you've got a, a little eye makeup and stuff made of this stuff um, uh, stones of many different colors every kind of precious stone alabaster um, in abundance because of my devotion to the house of my God my personal treasure of gold and silver I am also giving for the house of my God in addition to all that I have already provided for this holy house. 3,000 talents of gold from Ophir. Do I have the thing on here? Um, hundreds of tons. Uh, 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 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the structures. So silver on the you know, what wasn't gold in the, temp, in the temple itself, those, those other rooms and things, I think they got silver wallpaper. You know, or what would, you know, um, uh, I have given gold for gold items and silver for silver and the work of the craftsmen. Who else is willing to de dedicate himself to the Lord today? David's waiting for somebody else to raise their, you know, I'll do it. Um, when St. Paul's was founded back in 1865, uh, 
uh, a man named Buck was the man who owned the sort of building company that it was his living room where the church first met and he became, I think, the treasurer or something. He wasn't the president. And they, they, they got some land. It's where, over where the parking lot is now, across Kitty you know, Corner from the church. That's where the church was. Um, and uh, he supplied the wood and the, and the guys in his bunkhouse came and did the work. He built it. A few years later, he got a burr under his saddle that there should be a college here because his pastor was supposed to build the college. And because his pastor was the president of the Minnesota district. Well, Buck thought, Minnesota, people should come here to New Ulm. Well, in, in the days of horses and buggies and, sh- and boats, would, uh, would there be a better place maybe for a college than New Ulm? You know, the, the, the Synod thought maybe La Crosse or, 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 or La Crosse, maybe one of those would be a better place. But what had happened? Buck had already built Old Main and painted it. So when the Synod Convention met, <laughs> well, here it is. Oh, well, okay. So here we go. So for, I don't know how many decades, you know, students had to bump across the prairie on their buckboards and, you know, eventually the train got here and so forth, but not every student could afford the train. So some of them walked in those days to come to, come to New Ulm for school. Well, anyway. The officials of the fathers' houses, the officials of the tribes of Israel, the officers of the thousands and the hundreds made their offerings to the officials who were in charge of the king's work. They gave for the service of God uh, 5,000 talents. There's 190 tons um, of gold and 10,000 derricks of gold. Now that's a smaller amount, 185 pounds of gold. But a derrick is a curious word here to show up in Chronicles. Because a derrick is a, is a word that would otherwise be drachma that kind of comes from the Persian period. However, what do we know about when Chronicles was written? It was the Persian period. The book ends with the return from the exile from Persia. So I don't know if the author, if it's Ezra, and he's just using a word everybody would know. You know, like we would say, you know, quarters or $5 bills or something like that instead of using whatever denominational thing that they had at the time. Um, you know, I don't know. Did America have a threepence at one point? You know, a lot of us wouldn't know what that is. You know, so um, I know that we had a, a, a halfpenny dollar. We had a halfpenny bill. A half penny bill, you know. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, because well, it would buy you lunch, you know, and so, so forth. So anyway, um, the, this Derek, however, this is it. Um, uh, uh, later, in uh, that's the pointy beard guide with a with a bad nose is Poseidon. Um, I kind of wouldn't want to come around a corner and see him looking at me. I'd be pretty scared. Um, although I had a friend who looked exactly like this in my childhood. Uh-huh. Um, Poseidon, or not Poseidon. This is um, the other guy. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Dionysius. Yeah, and uh, and of course on the back, then you have a bunch of grapes and some grape leaves. 
and so forth. Um, so a, a, a drachma is a day's pay for a hoplite, a skilled soldier or a skilled laborer, and it's two days pay for an unskilled worker. That's about what it was. Anyway, uh, anybody who possessed stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, which was under the control of this Jehiel. The people rejoiced over their willing giving, since with an undivided heart they had offered freely to the Lord. King David was also very joyful. David blessed the Lord in the presence of the entire assembly. Now, I want to show you something in verse 11 here. So he says, Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, from eternity to eternity, from one olam to another olam, right? Which is here kind of forever, right? But look what he says next. To you, O Lord, belong greatness, power, glory. Does that sound like anything to you? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, Pastor Sutton and I studied this together more than once over the years. And I'm, I'm fairly convinced that this is where the doxology of the Lord's Prayer comes from. First Chronicles 29.11. That when the Lord's Prayer was presented by Jesus, of course in the, in the New Testament, it ends with, deliver us from the evil one. That's what the, he, the Greek actually says. And I think that a lot of Christians, you know, maybe their faith wasn't the best and maybe they still had a little bit of, uh, what am I trying to say, superstition left. And to, to end a prayer with the words, deliver us from the evil one, kind of gave them the willies. And so they asked their pastor, and God be praised, they had a good pastor who said, well, you can stick on a, a nice scriptural ending, a doxology at the, won't change the Lord's Prayer. And I think he reached around and found this uh, from, from the Greek text of First Chronicles, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. However, it was a really early good pastor because by the year 150, that already shows up in the Apostolic Fathers. It's in the Didache, the Lord's Prayer with doxology. So it's pretty early. Maybe it was the Apostle John. I don't know. I just made that up, but you know, who knows? Don't want to start rumors, but uh, yeah. Riches and honor come from you. You are ruling over everything, and your hand are power and strength. It is in your power to make anyone great and strong. Now, our God, we are thanking you and praising your glorious name. And who am I? Who are my people? that we are able to offer willingly like this. For everything comes from you. What we have given to you comes from your hand. We are aliens and temporary residents before you, as were all our fathers. What did Abraham say that he was? No, Moses. What did Moses say that he was? I am a stranger in a strange land. Yeah, yeah. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. There is no hope of staying. Oh, wow, that's... But yeah, like it, it just passes quickly. Um, in the Psalms, it says, our days on the earth are like a breeze. But here it's like a shadow. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance which we've provided for building a house for you, for your holy names from your hand, this abundance belongs to you. Um, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I freely offered all these things. Now with joy, I see your people who are present here to bring the offering freely to you. 
Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, preserve forever this purpose and way of thinking in the heart of your people. Direct their heart to you. What a prayer this is. To my son Solomon, give an undivided heart and keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes to do everything needed to build the citadel for which which I have made preparations. It uses that word citadel again, but it's a big building. One of the people to understand, you're building a giant castle above the city for God. David said to the whole assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. They blessed the Lord. They bowed and stretched out flat on the ground before the Lord of the king. I think this is on the open ground up where the temple was going to be. They were just up there in the field. Like, and, and then they offered sacrifices to the Lord. On the next day, they offered burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls. A thousand rams, thousand lambs. Is my math right? That three thousand sacrifices? That's a lot of. How long would it take any one of us to sacrifice a bull? Kill it, skin it, cut it up, burn it, roast the meat, pour out the blood, clean it up all day? More than one day? I don't know. I don't know. If, if you had never done it before, you know, it might take you a long, long time. If you were an old pro, um, and I wouldn't know what I had to climb up 30 steps with that bull slung over my shoulder like a bag of salt. You know, but I'll take a lamb. But uh, yeah. Of course, I, I, I'm over 50. I'm disqualified. I couldn't. The priests over 50 didn't, didn't make sacrifices. We just gave advice. Like, like I was there. We just gave advice. They ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great joy. They made Solomon, the son of David, king a second time. Does that surprise you? Crown him again. You know, the, the, not all the people had seen the crowning of Solomon. Or even if they had, aren't we a people who kind of likes the instant replay? Do it again, you know. What, what do married people do on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a certain anniversary down the road? That's reaffirmation. Do it again. You know, what, what does a bride like to hear? Honey, I'd marry you all over again. And uh, he went to Jared or whatever that uh, thing is. And they, they anointed him as ruler for the Lord and Zadok as the priest. Here's our temporal authority and here's our spiritual authority. Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in the place of David, his father. He prospered and Israel obeyed. All the officials, uh, also all the sons, oh, here, here it is. Also all the sons of King David pledged loyalty to Solomon, the king. So I said at the beginning of chapter 28, those officials and sons are there. And here we're folding back on ourselves. They're there again. But as I, I think I said, Adonijah's rebellion not even hinted at in Chronicles. And here, we know that Adonijah was still living. The rebellion was over. He came to pledge his loyalty to Solomon the king. What happened to David's son, Adonijah, who tried to be king in place of Solomon? Anybody know what happened to him? He made one last fatal mistake. Do you remember that David, when he was really old, he's 70, by the way, at the end of his reign, it's been what 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 problem did David had in his old have in his old age? Couldn't keep warm, so they gave him a girl, Abishag, 
to keep it as a bed warmer. He said he didn't, he didn't sleep with her, but he slept with her. So she was, she was his bed warmer, and that was all. Well, after David dies, Adonijah has Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, go ask Solomon if he, Adonijah, can marry Abishag. And Solomon sees that as you're making a play for the throne again. That was, because you could argue that she was queen. And you're marrying, the son of the king marrying a queen. And so Solomon said, this time he won't live. He ordered his death, Adonijah died that day. So that was a, that was a play for the throne again by, by Adonijah. But it's in, again, it's in uh, First Kings. The Lord made Solomon extremely great in the presence of all Israel. He gave him kingly majesty such as had not been bestowed upon any king before him in Israel. There's one more thing I want to show you. David's uh, reign here, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. Died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. Solomon, his son, reigned as king in his place. Here it is. The Acts of David from first to last are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. Seer and prophet are kind of interchangeable terms. Including everything about his kingship, his mighty deeds, the events that happened during his time to him, to Israel, to the kingdoms of the other lands. There are some commentators, and I don't know if I agree with them, but they, they, they do make this point. Those three documents... The records of Samuel the seer could be what we call Judges and the beginning of 1 Samuel, at least up to chapter 24. Um, the thing is, Samuel dies in 1 Samuel 25. So it's got to end at some point there. And that the records of Nathan the prophet, Nathan is the prophet who comes to David, you know, and so forth. So the, Nathan the prophet is, could be the author of 2 Samuel. And that the, the later guy, the younger guy, Gad the seer, um, could be the author of the Solomon part of the story, which is 1 Kings. So who's king in 1 Samuel? Saul. Who's king in 2 Samuel? David. Who's king in 1 Kings? Mostly Solomon. And then 2 Kings? Do you remember the earliest episodes of Gilligan's Island? And the theme song's a little bit different, right? The millionaire and his wife, the movie star, and the rest, exactly. Yeah, that's Second Kings. It's and the rest. So it's 40 kings, 20 up north and 20 down south. That's Second Kings, yeah. Uh, and who wrote Second Kings? Well, the Second Kings ends right at the Babylonian exile. It has some chapters written by Isaiah. You see them there. Um, or Isaiah take, steals them from kings and uses them. But so who finished kings? Is it maybe Jeremiah? Um, not really sure who, who finished or wrote kings, but this is what some people think. But, um, so in the book of Chronicles, David's purpose regarding the temple, let's get this built. I can't build it but I want everybody to know who really is the king, and that's Solomon. So David is making sure, not of his own posterity, but of God's posterity. My son is supposed to be king. Let's make sure that he is. 
Let's make sure everybody understands. We don't have three carpenters working on this problem all at once. The plans are here. Solomon's the builder. That's what's going to happen. So David says this in his 40th year, we're told. So it, he's, it's, it's the last year of his life. He's around 70, 71, whatever he was. And, uh, and David then, uh, very shortly after this, dies and Solomon is king. But that's the end of First Chronicles and we'll go from there. But may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.